0: Whoa. Oh happy day. <laughs>
1: Is or is it worship as well?
2: Either one.
1: Oh. Or I was I was signed up for tapes. <laughs> I was wondering about. Um, you didn't really talk about at all um, with regards to the music and worship, uh, instrumental worship or instrumental music. Does that have a place at all, or is it just is it, is the purpose of music or the musicians just to lead the singing?
2: I think the purpose of the instruments is to help the congregation to stay together as the congregation worships the Lord. I don't believe in um, listening to instruments. It's not a concert. (laughs) Someone spoke, but I didn't hear what...
3: You said, what about during the offering?
2: For one thing, could somebody please tell me what an offertory is? I have a sneaking suspicion that it is not the music that the pianist is playing, it's something else. Does anybody know historically what the offertory was? Where are our liturgists? We're
4: Presbyterians. <laughs>
2: She wants to know about the, um, the piano playing during the collection of tithes and offerings.
1: She said, if, if you aren't playing the piano, she sees people's heads just watching the plate go around. So,
2: do you mean if and if the person's play, someone's playing the piano, they're not watching the plate go around? I wish that um, Larry Wilson were here, because Larry has given a lot of thought to liturgy and to worship, and I'm not kidding, I'm not copping out either. I, I, would, I wish that my brother Larry were here, because he probably could really help us on that, because we're not talking so much here about music in worship, as we're talking about what is the offering, and what should the people be doing during the offering. So, since I'm not really... I don't feel really prepared to address that from a biblical theological point of view and I would appreciate if somebody else would want to say something. All I can say would be that I don't see any objection to some instrumental music during that time. But it's it's not a, a concert even then. I don't know what it is. It's filling dead space. Dead audio space, I guess. Do you have any comments? Al?
0: There's also a a question that people have whether the offering is actually part of a worship, is a legitimate part of the worship service. Uh, Some churches do not have offerings. They just have a box in the back. People put their tithes uh, offerings in the box. But I think if you do have an offering taken in the worship service, the music is helpful uh, to still uh, focus people's thoughts. And I think... You know, the question is really more what's, what's appropriate for, uh, a, a music during an offering. I agree with you. It's not a concert. And if you, if you're using that space or that time, uh, for the organist or whatever to show off his or her talents, uh, that's inappropriate. But I think even a, a simple hymn played simply by your, by your, uh, accompanist, your pianist, uh, focuses people's thoughts on a worshipful uh, theme or, or, you know, she's playing the the piano, but you're thinking of the words of a hymn or a psalm or something while she's playing, and it focuses your thoughts in a a good, uh,
3: healthy manner that way. Sounds good to me. Yes? I don't know if I'm taking it back from you, but um, getting back to the original question about having instrumental music or what do you think about... um, individuals or maybe a choir presenting or singing, you know, not the whole congregation, I guess is the question, it's, it's opposed, as opposed to does the whole congregation has to be, have to be worshiping God or can, yeah. can an individual or a group? Maybe present? you were not
2: here earlier. I did address that earlier this week. Were you here? Where I, I said that so. it's good to have them in the back up in the balcony. Oh, yeah. Remember? Well,
3: what if somebody is in the back? Okay, then. Oh, so okay. I, I was thinking, a choir in that position. I guess that would be okay. I mean, I was I was thinking of as also leading the congregation, but but you're saying singing separately. So so a, so. A, a, oh, that's a, a
2: different question. Are you talking about the choir leading the congregation? The congregation is also singing.
3: Well, I wasn't talking about. What that. What could be right? wrong with that? Yeah, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about when there's individual singing or
2: and not the congregation not singing. Yeah, I think that's all right, but as 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 how, really are you, back? how are you going to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: well, yeah I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I like that concept,
1: too. Can I follow but can I
2: Let me just say Sorry. something about that. It ought to be in the in the liturgy in the worship service in a sensible position. You follow me? In other words, you don't have the congregation do anything at any time just because we've got to do stuff, do you? You, you? you arrange the liturgy to make sense. Obviously, you're not going to have the assurance of pardon before the confession of sin. See what I mean? So the, when, the con- when the choir is singing, it ought to be singing something. Of course they are. We sing words. And those words ought to have some particular logical place in the worship church. It's not just... Now it's the time for the choir to do their number. I don't believe that. Okay.
1: I've always been kind of, I guess, against the concept of, you know, just like a clarinet solo or something like that in church. And I agree that it's not a a concert. I mean, but it was in the course of this, this, your teaching, that this came to my mind and and in particular, you were talking about like the hundred and twenty trumpeters and how that resounded and and you get you got us picturing that and 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 then I think a passage that talks about you know which we've all heard before, you know praising with the psaltery and harp and I'm just wondering how do we is that is that something we're supposed to at this point incorporate into worship without text i I guess that's where i'm I'm having a hard time seeing where.
2: I think not. I I think the psaltery and the harp there were part of the ceremonial uh, laws and regulations that were being done. In other words, God authorized apparently instrumental music that wasn't necessarily congregational singing accompaniment that was done. But uh, I I don't really find that carried over in the New Testament. Do you? Can can you think of any New Testamental passage that would Parallel that? I can't. That's why I, I, generally, I think generally we don't really favor that. It's sort of like as the Israelites brought sacrifices and as the Israelites used the labor and, and as the Israelites had the lampstand and all these things that were part of the ceremonial law, all of which have passed away in the New Testament uh, dispensation, so I think the praise the Lord with the psaltery, praise the Lord with the heart is part of that ceremonial and that's where I would agree, then, with the covenanters. You know, the covenanters don't use any instrumental music in public worship. And then people sometimes say to them, what's wrong with you? You're exclusive psalm singers. Don't you know what the psalms say? Use instrumental music. And their answer is the answer I just gave. And, and I, agree, I agree with them. Yeah, here it comes.
5: My question is about catechism. Um, A family that are converts to the Reformed faith, uncatechized themselves with a teenager. You say they catechize
2: themselves. Uncatechized. Oh, uncatechized.
5: (laughs) Um, How can you help us get started?
2: Oh, is that you? That's us. You have not been catechized.
5: I know the whole Roman Catholic catechism.
2: Wow. Well, that's probably not all bad. I mean, you could probably tell us what do you think about the Roman Catholic Catechism. Is it, is, it, is it 65% of it correct?
5: I'm really not able to think critically about it at this point. Came, came to the Lord through the Baptist Church, you know, threw out all that baby along with the bathwater, now trying to get the baby back.
2: And you have children.
5: We have a teenager, yes.
2: And so nobody's catechizing you at this point. No. Well, get, get, profe- get uh, Pastor Al's material.
5: We, we do have the material. We've also talked to our pastor about getting some assistance, but I'm visualizing sitting at the dinner table... Trying to make it happen only we're not drawing on our own fund of knowledge as we try to make it happen.
2: Or get G.I. Williamson's book, The Shorter Catechism. Just it, read it? It's five, it's five pages. Could can you sit it would take you about uh, fifteen to twenty minutes to read a chapter. I don't know whether you have that much time or does everybody have to run off quickly? Not their...
5: generally. We sit down together at dinner.
2: You could you could you could read that. You have a teenager. Is that a boy or a girl? Boy. Boy, he could—he could. Uh, it could have been a girl too, but I mean, whoever. He, he <laughs> Boys can, are he,
5: much better readers than girls, he can, right? <laughs> he could—he
2: could can, he can read that. Okay, great, thanks. That's a great question. I'd still like to know what what shape the Roman Catholic Catechism is in. <laughs> yes, Al. Tom,
0: sixty-five percent might be good, but it's that thirty-five percent that'll kill you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're good on stuff like the person and nature of Christ and all the stuff that leans on the ecumenical creeds of the early first five centuries of the church. They're great on that. It's afterwards that they really took a bad turn. Yes, Sherry.
4: About the women.
2: (laughs) How many of your churches have weekday women's Bible studies? Do you you always study only the Bible and never the Catechism, or do some of you study the Catechism? Hands up, those of you that look at the Catechism in those Bible studies. Well. Sherry is saying, Why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it teaches itself. Yeah. Yes? <laughs> They're what? The women love
4: stories. Every time they turn to Jane, they say, Sorry! Okay, Joe.
2: I'm so Thank you. Well, we had P&R by the kazoo on that one because they, they, they had to take whatever answer we gave. It's, it's our stuff. All right, here we, got a, we got some written ones. I've got to be sure to do those.
5: Can I ask real quick, are there answers? Because as I was trying to do Williamson's book with yep. the questions, yep. sometimes I would come to a question. You couldn't <laughs> I had, answer. I had a hard time. Not... Yeah, well,
2: that, that's probably where you need a catechetical instructor because okay. sometimes the kids wouldn't know. They would say, I can't find that. And then yeah. I, would, I would tell Definitely. them where it is. <laughs> it, it's in okay. there sometimes. Okay. But sometimes GI is a little bit of a stretch. But he, he's trying to have questions that are answerable in, in, the, in the book. Okay. Yeah, all right, Al. Don't go on to a new subject, though.
0: Oh, I was going to go back to music. Okay. 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 <laughs> That's um,
2: not
0: new. As is evident, even in, in camp, uh, we go are going more and more toward overhead projector songs, um, what we call you know in, songs in your worship you, services. Yeah, uh, but obviously uh, that's a trend that's uh, coming more and more into churches and Reformed churches, PCA, OPC. My wife and I, when we our family, when we go on vacation. We always try to find a, a church, a OPC, PCA, and, you know, it's kind of down the list here. Uh, sometimes we've ended up going to Calvary Chapels because it's the only church in, in a town, you know. Well, I'm not even okay. Probably better than the church? local
2: Presbyterian church.
0: Uh, yeah, actually it is. It's better than the local Presbyterian church with Pastor Jane. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, the trend is obviously in. Uh, churches are shifting away from hymnals, going toward that uh, style of music. What, in your opinion, is the danger to the church in losing our hymnals?
2: Well, just on the technology side of it, I, for the life of me can 't can 't get a, a thin piece of paper between the music notation and words being on that twentieth century bond paper. Uh, 13 inches from your nose or light and dark reflections on a screen 30 feet from you on a wall. I I can't see from a technological point of view a shred of difference between the two. That's purely a matter of how the information is conveyed to you. Now, if someone wants to dispute that, you can when I'm done, but I can't see the difference. So from that angle, I I, I have no time for uh, for the argument that somehow, you know, books are the right way. To sing in church and overheads are the wrong way what people are usually talking about is what is the content of what's in the book and what's on the wall and uh, maybe that's what we're talking about i think that the session ought to be in total charge of what goes on the wall they ought to be in total charge of what what's in the book too but i guess we agree that trinity hymnal and most of our churches either the blue or the red are acceptable in worship I'd watch it with the blue one on that hymns for informal occasions, folks. I mean, why is that uh, heading not paid attention to? Since when are our worship services informal occasions? Why are those hymns being used? There are some real unacceptable ones in that section, in my opinion. So uh, the session needs to be in charge of what's sung, whether it's in a book or on a wall, and once that's done, then if anybody has any problem with what's on the wall, we got to take it up with the session and not fuss with the uh, music director or somebody. That why are we having all these uh, projected hymns? They're bad. Okay, what there can there can't be any problem. I mean, look at look at. Um, Well, let's see. Uh, What did did they do in the past? What are the Scottish uh, psalter hymnals? I guess they were split, weren't they? You had words, and then you could always look at a a tune. But the main interest ought to be on the words. And if the people know the tune, what could be wrong with the tune not being there? The, The purpose of music notation is for you if you don't know what note to sing. But if you do know what note to sing, you don't need the notation. That's why I don't think we ought to be going on with new ones, new ones, new ones, and so nobody ever really catches up. I think that's bad. I've seen that done in Orthodox Presbyterian churches that I've worshipped in, and I, maybe three out of the five things that are on the wall, I, the first time I ever saw them. You, you had a couple here in this camp. I, as much as I know music, I, I couldn't sing with you at first. I had no idea where you were going next. So, no, I don't, I don't think we ought to have that kind of discontinuity in our worship services. That doesn't lend itself to, to corporate worship. So what's the answer? Well, what some churches do is they get the right to print the song that they want to sing and, and just print it on a little piece of paper and stick it in the bulletin. It may not be in your book, but there it is. It's in your bulletin. That may be the answer. All right, let me, uh, let me go to this, these questions before we run out of time, because two people gave me the benefit of writing it down. Other psalmody items. One, why did not God preserve the music? I take it the, the music that the, some of the psalms refer to, to the tune, whatever it is. How come we don't know what that tune is? I don't know. Sure... <laughs> I haven't the faintest idea why God did not preserve the music. I don't even know for sure why the, the Jewish canon of the Psalter includes those notations, but they are in the Masoretic text. That's not somebody put that in there. That's part of the, the Masoretic text of Scripture. And I guess it's just going to be something that we'll have to wait and ask the Lord when we see him. Surely, he says, surely nobody is arguing that the Scots have rediscovered the ancient meter to the choirmaster, to the tune of. What you're saying is that the, um, you're saying we're n- nobody is going to argue that the Scottish Psalter finds tunes that are referred to in the Psalms.
3: Right, it was, uh, this really wasn't so much as a question for you as something as a to speech. Con- something to consider including... As something to consider including in in further discussion or pursuit of the the, the question of what are the proper uh, music and words to use in a worship service, and for our brethren who who prefer only the psalms, I would ask those questions. So they weren't strictly questions to you, but questions to, to ask of them. Is okay? Well, why are why uh, why do we use this music? God clearly preserved it for a time and then allowed it to disappear.
2: He's he's really he's really saying that this is a uh, a question that would be hard for the exclusive psalm singers to answer who believe that they have it exactly the way God wants it done in worship. And he says, oh? <laughs> the same, with the same with the next question. And he says, why English? Shouldn't we be singing in Hebrew? He means, if we're supposed to be exclusive psalm singers, shouldn't we be singing in Hebrew? Hodu uh, la'donai ki tov. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. So we could all learn, learn Hebrew which is backwards, and that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they're good, they're good questions to bring to, to, the, to the exclusive psalm singers. Well, I don't think they can answer them. Yeah, and, and I've also, I've asked people like G.I. Williamson and others who hold this position about what happens in the metrification of the Psalms, you know? Even if you translated it literally according to Hebrew, that'd be, you'd be at least a little bit closer to, to the uh, actual inspired text. But some of those Psalms just take really great liberties in order to make it rhyme and to make the meter work. And it seems to me that when you do that, you're basically doing what almost what... Uh, what, um, what's his name, the guy that did the, uh, what, what, what Isaac Watts did. He just went a little bit further. Okay, we've got another one here. If Israel was God's covenant people, why did they fall away, specifically the northern ten tribes? And in relation to that, what or confidence or assurance can we have of not falling away? Uh, none whatsoever, beyond the mercy of God. Uh, I can tell you that at Westminster Seminary in 1957 in church history course with Paul Woolley, who was my professor, this was such a shock to me that I remember where I was sitting. It's kind of like, where were you when John Kennedy was shot, if you were around then? I remember exactly where I was when Professor Woolley said this. I can almost see him saying it. It was so vivid and so shocking. He was lecturing in church history, and he said, boys, in 30 years, you may have to start over again with a new Orthodox Presbyterian church, because the one you're in will have apostatized. And uh, it blew me away. I I mean, I was an Orthodox Presbyterian, I bled Orthodox Presbyterian, and when he said that, it was so sad to hear him say that, but it was a powerful warning, ecclesia reformata, ecclesia reformata, reformanda est, the church that is reformed must always be reforming, and we don't mean by that that we need to change stuff to get with it. What we mean is we have to constantly be aware that we may have to correct ourselves to bring us back to what we lost. So, no, if Israel was God's covenant people, why did they fall away? You can ask that not only of the ten northern tribes, but what about the generation that left Egypt? That whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, were lost in in the wilderness. The only, the only answer is that God is 100% responsible as a sovereign God to fulfill his purposes, but we are 100% responsible to walk in obedient faith. That's all there is to it. And if we don't walk in obedient faith, we can't say, well, at least God is sovereign, so we must be okay. According to Professor Woolley, that doesn't necessarily follow. And I, I just think uh, this, ne- this next General Assembly is really going to be a critical one I mean, we're talking in the Irons case about the the moral law of God, <laughs> and in, in the case of the and, and it's a, a summary, summary compre, comprehension in the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's an important, very, very important topic. In the Canard case, we're we're talking about the relationship of works to justification, if there is any. That's a that's the gospel, the very gospel itself. So really be in prayer for our General Assembly. We can't just say, Well, it's an Orthodox Presbyterian General Assembly, so everything will be okay. We we have to be faithful and we have to listen to each other and we have to pray earnestly that God will preserve us. I hope to die still an Orthodox Presbyterian. I don't want to have to go through and leaving the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and going somewhere else or starting a new denomination. I'm too old for that and too weary. Roger, how about you? Yeah,
0: we could get thrown out. That's happened before, too.
2: Well, I'm a little concerned. What do you mean, we? I'm (laughs) I'm sometimes a little bit concerned about you, Roger. I was going to say, you could
1: get thrown out since you were saying you didn't want to leave, but then
2: I thought, well, I could throw out for you. Okay, maybe we're about ready to wrap it up time to go home i want I want you to know how much at home you have made me feel. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was an honor and a privilege, and uh, I appreciate it so much. I only wish my wife could have come, but she needs to go to general Assembly with me because I need her there. Uh, I need somebody to wind down with each night at this general assembly because I'm going to be really at you know on edge, and I asked my wife if she would go with me, and she's not really a General Assembly-type minister's wife, but she said she would go with me. And then I said, will you also go to, to, this, to this camp? And she said, no. <laughs> uh, one uh, is enough, and not two right on top of each other. But, uh, and I've missed her, but uh, I was very comfortable over in Acorn 1, And uh, I've particularly enjoyed your smiles, your your warmth, your friendship. You've just been very kind to me, and uh, I'm really happy to be an Orthodox Presbyterian. And may God have mercy on our beloved denomination, His beloved denomination. Okay, we will. I will. That's enough, isn't it, now, Bill? What do you think, Bill?